This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Everyone, thanks for listening to the 100th episode of the Western Hunting Up podcast. And it's been a, a fun little ride so far of podcasting and getting to meet some of you folks, chatting with some of you folks, and soon to be hunting with some of you folks. So, uh, but for the 100th episode, I've got a little fundraiser giveaway thing. So, uh, to make it to the 152nd episode, I was wanting to do just a little uh, fundraiser with that. And giving away a Hoyt Axius bow. It's a 2019 bow, but still in the box. Uh, 28 to 30 inch draw, 60 to 70 pounds, right hand bow, Kuyu camo. Uh, if you win this bow and it doesn't fit you, give it to somebody for Christmas. Or take the bow into the bow shop and say, hey, I'd like that other bow you have on the shelf that fits me. Can you sell me that bow? Or they can get you some new modules that'll fit that bow and or fit you uh and that bow so that'll that'll work for you so the way you can get entered is uh venmo paypal uh also there's a facebook fundraiser uh posted on my facebook page there as well so uh venmo is at clint whitley paypal is at clint no not it's not that it's clint.a.whitley at gmail.com is my paypal account need to be 18 uh must be in the lower 48 please um and then the drawing will be held the second week in december so right now uh just so you know odds are good Uh, i think we got five six people entered is it so i'm and i'm not trying to make any money on this whatsoever the bow cost me 550 bucks. It's a $1,200 bow. Um, so I'm trying to make that 550 bucks back plus an additional $500 to pay for the year for the podcast. 
I will make zero money on this whatsoever. It'll go just back to creating the show and uh, everything that gets involved with that. So that's where that money would go. And if you are a loyal listener and appreciate something to listen to, it'd be really good to just send a $20 bill. And for every $20 that you give is an entry into the drawing with the ones I've got so far, I haven't done it yet, but I've got the names. I'm going to write them down, or I'm, I'm going to put them on a, a raffle ticket and actually do a physical drawing with it. No random number generator, none of that stuff. I'm going to actually just do a full-on drawing. I'll videotape it so you can see it's legitimate and fair, and we'll, we'll do that in December. And I will ship that out within days of then, so you will get that before Christmas. So, uh, for our 100th episode, got a new friend, Danny Bolton. Uh, Danny Bolton, someone I met through Waypoint TV, and he uh, is a bit of an extreme guy. Definitely someone that's got a lot, a plethora of, of skills from off-road vehicle training uh, to stuntman to... Uh, spear fisherman uh, and a variety of things so and he uh, got into archery elk hunting he's he lives in hawaii um, recently was on the um, meat eater podcast so if you listen to the cat scratch fever one he was the one they got teleremia i believe that was what it was uh but anyway uh you can check that episode out if you wanted to listen to to him on on there but uh we've been texting messaging every once in a while here and there so i'm excited to see uh where that goes and and uh, keep in contact with him because uh it'd be it's always fun to have uh, people of different different hunting backgrounds uh in contact and and you never know when he wants to come this way to hunt and you never know when i make it to hawaii to go hunt there or spearfish or something like that that'd be a lot of fun so anyway uh networking is primarily the reason why one of those big reasons why i do this podcast and so again thank you for uh listening if you've been here for all 100 episodes uh that puts us at a year and a half i used to do two episodes a week back during covid when we all had time now it's one a week uh i've been releasing i was releasing sunday evenings Uh, i think i'm moving that all to tuesdays i really like tuesdays uh, now, so that just seems to be a weekends get busy when you're hunting and you're not at home. So there's, it's tough to publish something or if I was finishing recording something. So that's what I'm going to do there. So we've got a, a whole host of episodes to, to post here, but this is the hundredth episode and, uh, uh, with Danny Bolton. So enjoy. Well, Danny, thanks for jumping on my podcast and chatting with me a little bit about, hunting uh we kind of were chatting a bit but uh i want you to introduce yourself to my folks this is the western hunting hub podcast and you're in hawaii i'd say that's the far west but uh so it still fits in but introduce yourself a little bit and let let folks know who you are yeah thanks yeah uh danny bolton yeah just um man just grew up out here in hawaii and um, started kind of bow hunting at a later age. Um, I didn't pick up bow hunting till I was probably in my late twenties. Uh, even though it's something that 
I've kind of always uh, dreamed about doing. But um, yeah, so just grew up out here and done some some good hunts out there in the West and some good elk hunts. And we have some hunting here in Hawaii as well. That's super fun and allows for a lot of opportunity. So yeah, I mean, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. And just, just to talk about you a little bit, you've got uh, what sounds to be kind of a interesting life, interesting <laughs> lifestyle, some stories yeah. and, and experiences that yeah. are going to be fun to sit around when, I don't know about, about your family, but my grandpa sitting around really old when he wasn't doing stuff anymore. I heard yeah. story after story after story, and, and I, I feel like I'm going to be in that same boat talking to my grandkids. So yeah, uh, you're going to have no shortage of them, I think, when you get to that point. So sounds like some off-road vehicle training. Uh, you got a family, which is a whole yeah. job in itself. Spearfishing, oh, yeah. hunting, uh, knife foraging. And list goes on a little bit. Share about just touch a couple of those things that you do. Um, yeah, I guess okay. We can start with the family. You know, uh, married and have a little eleven-year-old daughter, which is awesome. Um, such a fun age. Definitely uh, fun to have a daughter and get her out into the outdoors, and that's always a blast. And yeah, it'll be fun to share those stories when I get old and all the, all the stories where probably should have died and still made it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, done some, you know, grew up here fishing and and spear fishing and surfing and stuff. And the ocean is just kind of like a playground here. I mean, we definitely respect it, but it's definitely something that is there uh and it's kind of a source of entertainment you know you'd be sitting around and being you know what are we going to do okay let's go do this you know and it usually involved the ocean mm-hmm. so um always a pleasure to have that um yeah and i uh out of out of all those things you've got doing some baja in the desert in your past and and, uh-huh. and doing some uh, uh, even stunt work or even yeah. your knife foraging. Which one of those right now is just in your wheelhouse of this is what I want to do on a Sunday afternoon? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Besides hunting. It'd probably, it probably be spear fishing right now just because I, I just spent probably three to four months in the mainland. Um I had a lot of work this summer and I just got back to Hawaii. Actually yesterday was my last day out of quarantine. Hmm. So I've really just been craving to get in the water. Um, so spearfishing is something that I'm just itching to get out and go do more and get better at, you know, all those, all those things you can always get better at. And it's always just so fun to be out there. So probably spearfishing and, and bow hunting are two that are right up there. I've always wondered, uh, because there, even though I'm in South Dakota right now, I work with a guy or two that they do a little spear fishing, far Uh different than what you're doing, but probably has some similarities and being able to do some, some good diving is, is helpful, but yeah, I'm a good swimmer, but Uh the pressure gets me 
Like, is that, oh, yeah. is that something that can, you can train or you like get used to? Yeah. And once you go down to like below 12 feet, which is probably yeah. like, you can't, that's not enough. I, I'm sure you're yeah. diving quite a ways down. So like, yeah. So most of the dive, like, okay. So if I had to just say on average, you're like around 40 to 50 feet. Hmm. Um, the equalizing your ears, cause that's where you feel the pressure is something you can get good at. And a lot of it's like when you're in a plane and you're just taking off and you have to pop your ears. So you like plug your nose and you blow mm-hmm. and it helps pop your ears. That's one technique. Um, and that's actually the one, my sinuses are kind of messed up. So I have to, I plug my nose with my fingers and blow out and then it releases that pressure in my ears. And I have to do that every 10 feet, if not more often. So as I'm diving, as I'm diving down, I'm constantly doing that to, to release that pressure in my head. And, um, there's other ways you can do it. You know, some guys can move around their jaw in a certain way or swallow and get their ears to pop. But for me, I have to plug my nose and blow. Yeah. So it's something I can work with you on and, and you just have to get used to it and take the time to make sure they pop and make sure you don't put, push it too deep to where you're getting too much pressure and then it damages your ears. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, I'd like to hear kind of your path of hunting, uh, as a kid, hunting with the 22 and then, uh, how you evolved into the archery world. Cause we were talking and that, that has, is a good story. So I want to hear that. Uh Yeah. So I, I grew up with a 22. Um, we have mongoose here, which are brought here to the Island. They're like, you know, little weasels. Mongoose are like the little things you see in Africa and stuff. They're like little weasels, I guess. I don't really know what animal group they're in, but anyway, they're a nuisance. And so I grew up kind of just shooting those. Um, and just because they're an invasive animal, but also some turkeys. Turkeys is probably about as big a game as I hunted when I was younger. Even though we had a ton of pigs here in Hawaii, I never hunted them, and I never had anybody to hunt with. Um, so that was about it until my late 20s, 2014. So 2014, I happened to be up in Idaho, um, and we have a family friend up there, this guy Ron, and it was opening day of elk season. We just happened to be up there at the beginning of September. And he had mentioned that he was going hunting. He had been waiting for it, you know, and now I get, I get the excitement, you know? Um, but so he invited me out to go hunting with him just to go wander around the woods. And of course I'm going to do that. You know, that's, that's what every boy dreams of, right. To go wander around the woods and, so this, this guy, Ron, he's probably in his seventies. He invited me out to go with him a couple of days and we wandered around. This was, uh, up in Idaho and we didn't see anything the whole trip I was there. And, um, but still like I could see how any moment it was going to get real exciting. 
but he was really telling me how much I should get into bow hunting. And I already had that excitement for it. So he took me down to the local shop and kind of went over what I needed, you know, okay, you're going to need a bow, you know, this is what you should set it up with. And so he helped me get started. And what were some of those things he was saying? Like, as you guys were hiking, what, or was it some, he said, or something he did, Uh, or was it what you saw that set just, yeah, a lot of it, that. a lot of it, a lot of it was what you saw. He wasn't really a man of very many words. He basically was like, okay, hey, stay behind me and don't, uh, basically don't make a bunch of noise, <laughs> <laughs> which was, it was fine for me. Like I'm pretty s- sneaky to begin with, but, um, yeah, just going through slowly. We did go through and set up and call in a few spots which nothing came in and I didn't really understand that whole, that whole process, which I still honestly don't really get the whole calling elk thing. I mean, I get it, but I'm not very good at it. And, um, so just one was putting in your time. That was definitely one of the things that he was definitely like, Hey, you know, you're not going to see one on just your one day that you're out here. You got to put in your time and, and after you put in your time, then you're going to start seeing them and then you start getting close to them and then you'll figure out how you're going to be able to get in close enough to shoot at one, especially with a bow. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his teachings, I guess, was just putting in your time. And even when I got my bow was just shooting it um, as much as I possibly could and just getting super comfortable with it. Yeah, so, so he took that, you, took you then down to the down to the bow shop. Yeah, just right there on the, on the the trip. Said you got to yep. get a bow. <laughs> yeah, he's like, because I I kind of had the interest already, and here is someone who knows what they're doing. So I kind of took the opportunity and was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. You know. Mm-hmm. So went down, um, got like a cheaper middle of the range bow. Uh, you know, he, he told me straight, like, you don't need the fanciest thing out there. You just need a bow that shoots straight and get used to it. So got a bow, got a couple arrows, um, and started shooting just while we're visiting there up in Idaho. And then I flew that bow back to Hawaii and knew that there'd be opportunities for me to hunt over here because we have pigs and Um, we also have goats and sheep, which I really didn't know how good the hunting was going to be here until I started getting into it. Um, so on our Island, I'm on the big Island. We don't have the access deer, so that wasn't really on my radar yet. Um, but we had pigs and goats and sheep. So I came home and just started hunting pigs. Like we have a a farm. My, my family has a coffee farm where we have a bunch of coffee on it and we can, we can talk about that too. Like just the whole process of growing coffee and milling it. And I, I used to work from milling it and roasting it for a long time, but yeah, just hunting pigs up there. And it's good because they, they don't want the pigs on the farm because they tear up the rocks in the middle of the rows. And then when you go to mow with the mower, you go to mow the grass down, you hit those rocks and you bend your blades 
and stuff. So you're kind of doing the farmers a favor by getting rid of the pigs and the good eating too. They're, they're great. You know, are they, so that was, do you, do you know any of their history? Are they same species as what, or subspecies or whatever that we got running around here? The just you know, whatever. I don't, yeah, they're just some feral pigs. I know that I've heard stories like you guys have like the Russian boar mix, um, over there. Yeah, not even. Um, but not very much of it, I don't think. But yeah, same as over here. We don't, we don't have. We just have like the feral pigs. I think they were brought over from the Polynesians when they came over. So, oh okay. Um, yeah. they came over the same times the humans, you know, came over because they brought them with them for food. Yep. And they look real similar. Like I, I've hunted down in uh, South Carolina, and they look. They look real similar to those ones. Yeah, yeah. And but and before we get too much into the Hawaii hunting, uh, yeah, you were gonna go back to Idaho. Oh yeah, so yeah, I I had that trip with him, and then he always told me like, hey, come back and hunt elk hunt with me. And of course, like that's like the peak of bow hunting, at least for me. You know, like that's the coolest thing you can do. And so I was supposed to go back the next year and I ended up having to work. So I was going to go back the year after that. And he ended up passing away. He ended up um, flipping his quad. He was like towing a log off a logging road and he flipped his quad and somehow got tangled up in it and ended up choking himself out like his arm, his sleeve got caught in the somewhere on the quad and like flipped over on his back and ended up kind of choking himself out with his own arm from my understanding. It was pretty, pretty brutal, really um, sad story. So yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking. And that year I was supposed to go elk hunting with him. So I couldn't pass up the opportunity. I kind of already had it all lined up and I thought, you know, I do it. I, I definitely was questioning about going, especially since I didn't have anybody to go with at that point now. And I was really looking forward to kind of learning some lessons from him. And I had no idea about the areas or how to elk hunt at all. And at that point I was, you know, pretty new to hunting to begin with. Um, so I ended up just saying, man, I got, I got to go, you know, for him, I got to get up there. So I got my dad to come up with me and my dad doesn't hunt, but he, um, he can hike around and stuff and he was down to go. So me and my dad went and just put in the miles, you know, before I went, I reached out to some friends of mine and one of my friends had told me that had elk hunted before. He's like, be, in the area where you think the elk are at first light and make sure you're in an area where you think their elk is until last light, no matter how late that puts you back at camp or wherever you're staying. He's like, you got to be in there at first light, um, no matter how far you got to hike. And so, and then just stay out there all day. So that was the advice I got. And just to put in the time, and so that's what I did. You know, we were up at like three 30 in the morning. Some mornings we hiked in 
um, you know, an hour and a half in the dark to get to kind of a decent area. And then we'd spend all day out there, pack a lunch, spend all day and then stay till dark and hike back. And, and um, leading up to it was, leading up to this hunt, you had you done a few hunts in Hawaii? Yeah, with, well, with, like the easy hunts, you know, mm-hmm. like go up in the afternoon and hunt for pigs and and then that's it, you know, like not I've done a, I did a few all dayers, but not where you're going after the same thing day after day, you know. Yeah. And so where were you kind of were you just absorbing content like crazy trying to learn or do you feel um, pretty green going in? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I just asked everybody I knew as much as I could get information from them. And mm. then I think I had heard some, um, I think I listened to Jay Scott's podcast a couple times. Oh yeah. And that was about it. You know, that's all I can really remember. Um, I just figured I was going to go up there and put in my time. Yeah. And I really didn't have any expectations, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I bought my, I bought like a cow call and I bought a bugle before I went and I went up to my one friend's house and was like trying to use it and just sounded horrible. And they were all laughing at me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're just blowing on this trumpet basically like trying to make it sound but you don't even know what it's supposed to sound like. Like I'd never heard a bugle before in my life, but I had it just in case. And my thoughts, another piece of advice, my one friend gave me, he's like, Hey, don't bugle during the day. He's all, if the sun's out, don't bugle. Just if you, if you are going to bugle, do it in the dark, just to kind of get an idea on where they're at. So, you know, for the next day or, or if it's early morning, He's all, but don't, don't do it during the day, especially if you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. So I, I took that advice and then the cow call I felt okay with, like, I don't know, maybe from hearing some, some stuff online or whatever. Like I felt like I could toot that thing. Okay. You know, at least decent, but I definitely was not. Yeah. I definitely was not using that thing very much, but we went six days Okay, we went six days without seeing anything, not a damn nothing. <laughs> but we did see like some tracks here and there and some fresh poop. So we knew they were around, and the area we hunted was really thick. Like you, you never needed your binos, basically. You never got to a point where you could see out anywhere. It was just thick, big forest. So basically just hiking every day and we found a few wallows that looked promising that never nothing ever came like we we would find it and then maybe wait there for the midday um when we figured something would be thirsty you know or want to cool off yeah so pretty defeated yeah that thick country i don't oh yeah i don't hunt actually a ton of that even though most people do a lot of my stuff is more open yeah uh, yeah, with a, with little pockets of cover, so it's a wake up in the morning and glass and look for elk yeah. and and all this stuff of getting behind glass and spending time behind your binoculars, blah blah blah. All that's worthless if you can't yeah. you can't see more than a hundred yards. Yeah, there was none of that. 
like yeah. not a single minute of that. Um, the furthest, you know, some spots you maybe could see a hundred yards, but your, your shots were all going to be like 50 yards or less. And so it was a matter of just like almost bumping into them. And it was brutal, but you know, most, yeah, cause most of the hunting we do in Hawaii is all spot and stock. Like, yeah, people beat for pigs, but none of the hunts I do, like I'll go and just find them and then sneak up on them. So that's my hunting background and that's all the sheep and goats are too. Um, Which would be so really good training for like spot and stop stock mule deer or, yeah. or another Western hunt like that where you're seeing them from a ways and trying to put yeah. a stock on or antelope hunting, which is so much yeah. fun. Yeah, I can't wait. I haven't actually elk is the only thing that I've hunted um, in the mainland. I haven't hunted mule deer um, or antelope. I definitely want to in the future, but mm-hmm. I definitely a mule deer hunt is definitely in the cards in these next couple of years for sure. Yeah, and if you were from or had lived in Nevada, I mean, maybe that's an an area that you can go back to or something. Who knows if if you still have connections there? Yeah. Yeah, I still have some friends there. I've made some friends that hunt stuff. It's actually a small world, right? Like once you start bull hunting mm-hmm. and or hunting in general. Um, and it's such a good community. So so you're on six days seeing nothing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Six days of nothing. Day seven. I, I remember just feeling so mentally beat down at this point because, you know, you're not sleeping much. And then the Idaho terrain is just super steep, just straight up and straight down. So we were pretty beat. We're probably putting in 10 miles a day, which maybe doesn't sound like much to most people, but that's about, if you're walking all day and walking like in a hunting, stalking walk, that's about all you can do in one day. Yeah. And um, so we were pretty beat down and it was middle of the day and I ended up cow calling at like two in the afternoon. And we heard this bugle down in this nasty drainage and, um, the thermals were going down into there where we were at. And we kind of set up in a spot where our thermals wouldn't be blowing down to where they were, but maybe wasn't the best spot for them to come up. And we kind of just waited for a little while but the way the wind was going, I was like, man, this is not good. You know, at least we know where they're at. Um, let's back out and I'll, I'll just come back the next day. At this point, I had nine days to hunt total. So I really had one day left because the last day wasn't going to, you know, wasn't how much time and then had to fly out. Yeah. Especially if you got but something down that's a I little did, ways back. Yeah. They were there and I just knew with the wind. You know, I knew enough about how important the wind is and knew that wasn't going to work out that day. Mm -hmm. So we backed out and the next day I got dropped off alone at the bottom of that drainage, which I still had probably three miles to get to where we heard them. And I went through the, I thought it'd be cool. like go through the bottom of that drainage because the thermals are always coming down and it's nice and cool down there. Mm-hmm. and they would never smell me so but i, I didn't realize how thick it was going to be down there just because all that you know that 
all that growth has all that water and it can just, it gets so thick down there. But I did it. I spent like three hours getting up um, through the bottom of that drainage to where they were the day before. And they weren't there. <laughs> I could see like some fresh tracks and I was like, okay, at least they were here. So I went up and I went a couple ridges over and it was probably like three in the afternoon, four in the afternoon. And I had to make a decision because it was going to be like a four hour hike back to where we were staying or back to where I could get picked up. And I had done a few hikes. Um, uh, There's a couple other days where I went in alone and I had like a three hour hike in the middle of the night, you know, like I waited to where it got dark. And I still had three hours to go on the way out. No trail, no nothing. And that was kind of brutal. Like I was, you know, obviously kind of spooked about the wolves. And one of the neighbors had seen a grizzly bear up there like three weeks before we were up there. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> and oh, and they, he showed me pictures of wolves and stuff that had been up there. So, you know, coming from why I didn't, I, I wasn't scared, but I definitely respect it, you know? And I was like, in those long nights where you're walking in the middle of the night by yourself for hours with no trail or anything, and you're kind of hoping you're just going in the right direction. It was definitely brutal, you know? So I, at that point, they, I was sitting there in the afternoon. I was trying to decide what I was going to do because either I start hiking out now and at least I get out at a decent hour. And like I had good elk country to hike through all the way on the way back. But, um, or stay till dark and then make that four hour hike out in the dark. So I was trying to debate what to do. And I cow called just, I sat down I was like, okay, I'll make up my mind. I have a snack. And I just hit the cow call like once or twice. And this bull bugled, um, you know, it's probably two, 300 yards from me. Hmm. And it was like, whoa, like okay, he's there, you know? And so just judging where he was on the hillside, I checked the wind. The wind's not good for where I'm sitting. So I dropped way down the hill and made this big loop to come up underneath them because they were up on this hill. And I came up underneath them, just kind of guessing from where I had originally heard the bugle from where I was sitting. I do this big loop and I come up and I'm sneaking through and I, it just felt right. And I was like, okay, they gotta be close, you know, just from my, my instincts of where I felt like I heard them. So I was slowing down and sure enough, I heard some sticks break. Um, so I got in front of a tree, uh, which is, I was pretty much in the wide open, to be honest with you, you know, there wasn't any brush. It was just, I was standing right in front of this big pine tree. And I knew to get myself in a good position to be able to shoot. Cause I've heard stories, right? Like, yeah, if people hide from them, but you're not in a good position to shoot front of the tree, so, not behind it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just stood right in front of this tree, knocked an arrow and was ready. And I seen the cows come out, um, first and I was like, okay, this is going to happen, you know? And, and, uh, at this point I was ready to shoot anything that was legal. And I think, if I remember correctly, I had a bull only tag, but a spike is legal there. Okay. And this spike comes out and I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, this is it, you know? 
And I had already, this cow had already walked by on this trail up above me that was 50 yards. And that was like, at that time, that was far to me, which it still is. Like, that's like, for me now, 50 yards is like my limit of where I'll, I'll shoot and feel comfortable. But at that time, you know, it was like 30, 40. Yeah. And here's this 50 yard shot on this, that trail. But then there was another trail that was close to me. It was like 20 yards. And this bull comes, this spike comes out and I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. I'm going to shoot this thing, you know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden the bull bugles, the, the herd bull. And he comes out and he starts chasing this spike away. And he chases him right up that trail that's going to be a 50-yard shot. And I'm like, shoot, like, okay. So I, I drew back, and I only had a little window to where I could shoot. I mean, we're talking like a 10-foot window. And But I could see him coming through the brush before he got to that window. So I'm tracking him through the brush, and as soon as he got to that window – um, everything kind of went blank. Like I did, I shot, but I wasn't the, I don't remember like mentally saying like shoot now, you know, it just happened. Yep. I and do I know that all goes blank. <laughs> yeah. Just all kind of goes blank. And I, I seen right away, boom, I hit like at the back of the rib. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And... At first, my very first thought was like, shoot, that was too far back because he was moving from right to left. And when I shot, I felt like he, you know, I was pretty far away and like I didn't, I didn't lead him far enough or something. So I felt like, shoot, like that was kind of far back. And he, I could hear him like stumble and run off for a little bit because he went out of view. But I still had those cows. Those cows were like 30, 40 yards from me. So I could I didn't want to move. I knew not to spook them. Yeah. And I could hear him coughing. He had stopped and I could hear him hacking up shit. So I was like, oh, yeah, like I definitely hit him. And then I heard, uh, you know, I heard him hit the ground. I heard a thump and I was hoping, you know, like, oh, God, I hope that was it, you know. And. I didn't know at that time and I knew to wait. So I waited and those cows ended up walking on that 20 yard trail past me. And then the spike ended up walking this young, young spike ended up walking within like 10 feet of me, just right in front of me. No clue. I was there. <laughs> even, after shoot, even after shooting. Yeah. Even after shooting. And this was like 15, 20 minutes later. Cause I had wait, I had to wait there for those cows. Like now my legs were kind of going dumb because I was on this hillside. So I wait for them to walk off. And then this little spike walks right by me. It was so cool. Like, and I have some, some fun video of it walking right by me. And, uh, I waited an hour. I ate, I ate a little bit. I definitely felt uneasy. You know, my stomach was kind of uneasy. 
I had no service and I couldn't, I had no way of getting hold of my dad to let him know that I had shot one. So I went up the hill and called him and it was funny story is that he, he actually, cause we had been out a couple of those nights and we had, we had no, we had no gun or anything and we just had the bear spray Yeah, and it felt sketchy. Like it definitely felt sketchy. So he went in and borrowed a handgun from a friend. And then on his way back out, he was at a drive through liquor store, which they have up there when I called him. So I was like, Hey, where are you at? And he's like, yeah, I'm at this drive through liquor store. I was like, okay, well, I got a bowl down. I kind of explained to him the area I was in. And we had walkie talkies that, you know, like the Garmin rhinos. Yeah. So I told him, okay, as soon as you get close, call me on that. And then you should be close enough. We'll be able to tell where we're at, you know? And I kind of explained to him pretty good where I was at. So I go look for my arrow and I can't find my arrow. And I'm, I was actually pretty devastated. I couldn't find my arrow just because I was so used to hunting Hawaii where you get a lot of pass-throughs because they're smaller animals. Yeah. And I knew that was going to be such a vital part of like telling me how good the shot was. And I've heard stories of how strong elk are too and how, how they have that will to live. So I ended up tracking the thing and, and was on a little bit of blood right away. And there was this spike standing there. You know, I'd only made it like 20, 30 yards down the trail and there's a spike standing there. So I said, shoot, now I got to wait for this spike to move. So I didn't want to spook him. And I'm looking through my binos and he's standing there looking at something. And I look and sure enough, like there's a little bit of fur there on the ground and I could barely see it, but that was my bowl down, which he only made it maybe 50, 60 yards. Cause that shot was a little bit back, but the way he was on that trail was kind of quartering away. Oh, so it ended up going in perfect. And, um, so yeah, he only made it like 50, 60 yards. It's nice. Like five, he's a six by six, but I call him a five by six just cause the six point on the one is really small. Was it, uh, how far was that shot? Which trail was he on? Was he on the, he's on the 50, it was oh. on a 50 yard the is a 50 yard shot and he was moving pretty good. Like, I don't know if I would normally take that shot to be honest with you. Um, because he was chasing that other spike away and you know how they do that? Like gallop, it's mm-hmm. not like a run, but it's definitely like, it's not a walk, you know, it's like a jogging pace. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not one just to fly arrows and animals and stuff, but it just felt right. And like I said, I don't remember what happened, but boom, I made the shot and it ended up being a great shot. Hmm. Um, all the old timer archery timers, they, they shoot at stuff running all the time, all oh, the yeah. time with traditional gear and all that. <laughs> That's probably just all recent that that has gotten more of a, maybe don't do it kind <laughs> of attitude. Yeah. I think it just has to be, it has to feel right, you know? Yeah. And, um, at that point, like it wasn't even a question if I was going to shoot or not. I was in, it was, that arrow was already sent and it wasn't, uh, I just let instincts take over at that point, you know? Isn't that interesting to know that, or to experience that and why you have to practice so much because you were completely out of control of so much so much oh yeah everything else your shot process 
just has to be so instinctive that you know what it's going to do. You've done it a thousand times and no, you don't have control over a whole lot of everything else. Or at least that's me. Everything just kind of goes blank and I can't even really replay, replay a good chunk of it because it's happened so fast. Oh yeah. That's, that's my favorite part to be honest with you with bow hunting is getting into those scenarios where I don't have to think anymore. It just, I'm solely relying on my instincts and that's it, you know, and it's almost like my most natural state of, um, being a human, you know, like, I don't know, it sounds cheesy, but there's not, it just feels so good to be in that, be in that position. Yeah. There's not a lot um, lot else that you can do to replicate things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So made a good shot and instantly walking up on it. I was like, Oh my goodness. This thing is like, (laughs) this is a gigantic animal. (laughs) This is like 10, 20 uh, pigs. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I was like, Oh my God. Okay. So, um, I went to work on cleaning it and kind of had, I didn't really know how to go about it. And, um, so I ended up just, I was used to doing the gutless method. So I ended up just going right down the backbone and then I didn't know how bad the bugs were going to be and how long it was going to take me. So at first I only took the hair, like the hide off the back leg instead of like now I would take the whole hide off the whole side of the animal, wherever it's laying, you know, Mm -hmm. but at that time I didn't know. And I just took the back ham hide off and then took debone the back ham right there on it and because i was by myself i couldn't take the whole quarter off so i just deboned it right there got that put aside and then just slowly peeled the hide back over his back strap and his shoulder and deboned that whole side and then um by that time my dad had showed up it was actually pretty cool he he raced to the trailhead to where you can go into where I was. And it was, it was like three and a half, four miles in. And he just was so excited to get up there. He didn't go to where we were staying to get all his stuff. He just shows up at the trailhead. He had a knife, but he didn't have a, he didn't have a headlamp or anything. And there were some people staying there at the trailhead that we had seen like two days before. Cause we had, we had showed up there at like four in the morning and started hiking in and there's all these people camping there and we were in there before them, you know, like they poked their head out of a camper, like, shoot, who's going in, you know? <laughs> but, um, he showed up there and thankfully the truck he was driving was pretty funny, had Idaho plates. And he asked like, Hey, do you guys, my, my son shot a bull. Do you guys mind if I borrow a headlamp? And the guy looked over at the truck and was like, well, if you had plates from any other state, I'd tell you no. But since the <laughs> Idaho plates, he's all, yeah. And he's all, actually, I'm from Hawaii. You know, so he started talking. He's like, you know what? I'll do you one better. He's all, I have a bike that we've been taking in. Because there, there's some forest roads in there, but they're closed off. And there's a few spots where it's got big trees down and stuff. But they had been taking their bikes with the baby cart on the back. Yeah, You know, like yep. you put your little kid in. Yeah. So I'm out there and I see head, a headlamp coming and I had started a fire cause I was scared like about 
wolves and grizzlies and i thought okay maybe the fire would like deter him from coming over here so i had like a little fire going so he was able to see that glow and flicker through the forest and make his way in and when he got out there i was like damn like how'd you get in here so fast and he's like oh you won't believe it like (laughs) i gotta ride a bike and there was actually a road that took him like probably two and a half miles in so he only had maybe a mile of hiking to get to where I was. And by the way, we're Idahoans today. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he bought that bike and as we're cleaning it, the, the people that he bought the bike from two other guys showed up to hunt with that guy. You know, they're all friends and the three of them were sitting there and like, you know, we don't got anything else to do. Let's go help those guys. Oh, nice. So they ended up coming out and, um, they came out, the three of them, and helped us clean the bowl and help us pack it out of there. And that was such a big help because it would have been it would have been a solid three trips for me and my dad in and out of there. Yeah. And uh, we were planning on doing it all the next day. And those guys, we ended up loading up the bikes with the meat and everything. We hiked it, all the stuff up to the bikes and then loaded up the bikes. And I rode the one bike and this other huge dude, which is amazing because he's like, guy's just freaking huge and could carry a bunch of meat. He loaded up one bike, boom, he was gone. Like we never seen him again. And then some of the other guys had some meat in their packs. And I took that bike with quite a bit of meat and rode it out of there as well. Um, and he, the big guy was waiting for me at the end because there's this big hill at the end. It's pretty funny. He's waiting at the bottom of a hill and he's like, okay, don't stop pedaling. And he starts pushing the, the little baby cart. And we get to this hill that gets up to where the trucks are and stuff. And he starts pushing this baby cart and I'm pedaling up this hill. And I'm pedaling so hard, I, I pop a little wheelie because <laughs> it's like, it just is the way it is and the way he's pushing. So it's like two in the morning. I'm doing this wheelie up this hill with probably like 200 plus pounds of meat behind me. And I'll never forget that feeling. It was hilarious. Dude. Like freaking rode this little wheelie to the top of the hill. And, um, no, it was an amazing, it was an amazing hunt. And I definitely was hooked from, from them on, you know, it, that experience to me was, uh, I don't know. You can't replicate it. And to me, elk hunting has such a special place in my heart now probably just from that from that trip yeah we've i've spoken previous episodes telling my elk stories this year and it in in colorado and it it is just such an emotional thing of uh frustration to happiness to uh the going blank moments to uh, all these other all these feelings of physical exhaustion and yeah everything and I commend you for that many days of being getting up in the dark and then going out because that's exhausting. That just gets so oh, yeah. exhausting. And then uh, you you think about home a lot, and that I could never ever be one of those people that goes on alone or any of those other shows. I don't care <laughs> what skills I had; I could never yeah. do it. Uh, just yeah. being away from home that long is. Oh, I'd be one of those guys breaking down saying, I got to go home, see my family. I got to go. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny? Like it wears on you. And as much as like, I like being outdoors and after a couple of days, especially if you're getting it real hard or the weather's bad or something, 
man, like that little tease of the lot, the, the, the only place you want to be is at home, like warm, like on the couch, like snuggled up in a blanket with like your family or something like that feeling is there, you know, that tease of, you know, you could be doing that instead of out here suffering and being uncomfortable and uh, <laughs> just that little comfort, you know, thinking you could be home with your family. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't take long. Even just that I do a lot of solo hunts, so it's very, a lot of solitude. Yeah. Um, and suddenly my, Oh, my power's back on. That's why my printer's going nuts. Nice. <laughs> okay, good deal. Power's back on. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I was wondering why my printer was starting to go cycle through like it was printing something. Um, anyway, sorry. So, yeah, no problem. Uh, heck of a hunt. Heck of a hunt. Glorious that was your, your so fun. first actual going first out. First elk hunt. That wow. was the first hunt in the mainland period. Um, first hunt that was, I mean, I'd probably done a few hunts here in Hawaii that was, uh, like the weekend, you know, leave on Friday and come back Sunday. So, but, um, and what year was that? That was 2016. Yep. Oh yeah. You had said that. And then, so have you been, been back, back here? Yeah. Since? Yeah. I've been. I've been back every year since the next year I had shot one in the shoulder. I'm assuming it was a shoulder to be honest with you. I shot and I didn't see where I hit cause it was like through some brush, which wasn't that bad. Like I had a nice hole to where I was going to shoot him through. But when I shot, I hit a stick probably 15 yards in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so that diverted the arrow, but I still hit him, but I found my arrow with about, three inches about three inches of it missing and the next day i saw that same bull wandering around he was all wallowed on the one side i hit him on so he's real muddy so i couldn't see where i hit him and he was walking around i actually bugled him in because it was my last day and i was going buck wild with the bugle just trying to find him (laughs) and i normally would never do that but i was like screw it last day i already shot one like i'm not going to shoot another one I'm just going to go buck wild this bugle and see what happens. And I ended up bugling him in to 70 yards. And part of me wishes me I would have took that shot, but I didn't. And I just watched him and was hoping he was going to get closer, and he didn't. Hmm. But I couldn't really see where I hit because he was all muddy on the one side. And when he came in, he was facing the other way. Yeah. But uh, the year after that, I shot. I, I found two bulls fighting. And I snuck across a meadow when they were fighting and with their heads down, they're both raking this tree at one point. And I got probably 40 yards and one of them got curious to what the heck they saw. Like I had to make my way across some openings and he ended up coming around the tree and I shot this bull at like less than 30 yards quartering away. And the thing, this six point bull and he ran off and died within like 10 seconds. I mean, I never seen an animal die so fast like it was amazing shot him kind of quartering away right in the pocket and he took off at a full sprint and made it about 50 60 yards and then just fell over (laughs) and it was awesome and then the next year i'd shot a a cow i was in a nice herd of there's a five by five that kept bugling and 
stayed like 60, 70 yards away and would never give me a shot. And this cow came walking in within 20 yards and had no idea I was there. And I had either sex tag and I couldn't pass up that opportunity. So I ended up shooting her. And then last year I shot a nice six by six herd bull that I snuck into um, him and all his cows. And that all all the other ones were like spot and stalk stuff. I, I never... I haven't tried calling too much, but if I do call and they respond, it's more just to let me know where they're at. And then I go into stock mode from there. Hmm. But the one last year we seen from a long ways away and ended up sneaking up, sneaking up on him and shooting him. Um, and that was a, that was a good hunt last year. This year I got invited to a spot to hunt that was like a small cattle ranch and you wait over water because it's like the only water around because it's a cattle ranch and the elk come in to that water pretty steady. And I didn't get the tag I wanted. So I was like, screw it. I'll just go hunt this other spot with my friend. And it rained really hard opening day. Uh And so there was water everywhere. So they didn't come onto the property for like a week because they have trail cams and stuff. You can see where they're coming. And I had never done a hunt like that before. So I figured, okay, I'll try, you know, like I don't like sitting. I've never sat in a tree stand or in a ground blind or anything before. But dude, I sat for 10 days and didn't see anything. (laughs) It was brutal. It was brutal. I mean, I probably won't do that again, but it was a good, I mean, whatever. I had some time to myself. I try to think positive and had some time to think about some stuff, you know, in my own head and you know appreciate the time i had by myself oh wow yeah that's a long time it was brutal dude it was absolutely brutal (laughs) (laughs) it was a comfortable tree stand or yeah the one tree was like it's not even a tree stand it's just a tree that they put like a pad up in Hmm. it's just strapped to the log you know and you just sit there um the other tree stands, a proper tree stand, and then a couple of the ground blinds. There was nice chairs inside. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty luxury compared to what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. I mean, whatever. I try to be happy and stoked, and uh, but I probably won't do that again. Have more fun out when I can hike around and get after it, and have more area to hunt and everything like that. Well, and it sounds like you took your style of hunting, what you know from Hawaii, and you adapted it to just a different species. Yeah. And, and that's pretty neat to to be able to take your strengths. And because if, if calling's not your strength, then it may not be effective. Uh, I was right. listening to Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast yesterday, and one of the guy, big wigs from Kuyu and Alan from that show were talking about hunting big herd bulls and they're talking about anything over four or five years old is totally a different species almost they're so much smarter they're you have to speak their language uh they just they it was not very uplifting to listen to (laughs) because it's like i'm never gonna shoot anything that big but they've shot shot multiple bulls over 350 Wow. One over 400 that, that guy had, but he also gets 
to hunt a lot and in many different yeah. states and yeah uh, but just the him knowing talking about the language that you and how to talk to these things like I, man i feel like i can blow a call but i i don't know if i can speak the language it's like in eighth grade si- uh spanish class i knew some of the yeah. words but i could never have a conversation yeah so i snuck up on this bull one time and this herd um and i was probably a hundred yards away and it was getting dark and i knew once I got within a hundred yards, I ran out of cover. Like there was this big sagebrush flat in between me and the elk and they were kind of up on this little bit of a hill. So they'd see me easy. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to try to use this cow call and who knows, you know, like maybe this thing will come over to me. And I hit that cow call once, just one little meow and they busted out of there like as if I had jumped up and started chasing him away, you know, <laughs> this from that one little noise. And they knew right away, like, Hey, that ain't one of us. Right. And they, they took off running and that right there was like, Oh my God, I'm never freaking using that thing again. You know, <laughs> yeah. but that same cow call was the one I had got the bull to bugle with my first bull. And then the next year, the one I shot in the shoulder, I got close. I, I was stalking him. He was raking a tree. And right before I got to where I could shoot him, he walked off. So I waited till he walked off out of sight and I got to a better spot where it'd be more open. And I hit that cow call once. And he I watched his antlers turn around and start walking right back to me. And that's what gave me the opportunity to shoot at him. Um, so it's like, who knows, you know? Yeah. And, I, yeah, and those guys are so good at it. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely, I definitely know my strengths and I, I know I can be really sneaky and I know how to move when the animals, I, I know how to keep an eye on all the animals and know when to move, you know, like when their heads are down or I feel pretty confident about, you know, their behavior and how I can kind of blend into the scenery and what I need to do to get close and just sneak in. Yeah. And I always feel like I'm, I'm always real optimistic and just thinking like, okay, if I can, if I can find them, I can sneak up on them. Like as long as the wind, as long as I can find like a little window where the wind is good, I can sneak up on them, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And then who knows, maybe that's the challenge down the road, learn to talk with them and, and figure that, that game out. I'd love to, I'd love to go with somebody who knows what the heck they're doing Yeah, and yeah. just see them at work. You know, I'd love to see that. Um, one day, one day I'll hunt with some people who definitely know how to call them. Yeah. And it, it's been a fun thing to learn too of, I can tell when they're upset and I can tell when they're just chilling and hanging out with the boys They're or the, that that's what my scenario was just a couple of bachelor yeah. bulls hanging out together not making a single noise. I can tell when uh, I've gotten them fired up before and really angry and glunking and ready to come in and just beat the snot out of me. Uh, and those emotions are easy. If you think about talking with people, those emotions are easy to pick up. It's the subtle subtle emotions that that's really hard to tell. Uh, you, you can sometimes tell when your buddy's into, into somebody <laughs> yeah a girl yeah. uh and so yeah. you can kind of pick up on those things here and there but 
man, some of those other little communication things is to what does yeah. this bull need to hear right now? And yeah. what is not going to make him leave the county is, yeah. is the hard part. Or at what distance? I mean, I'm at 100 yards right now. I can say one thing that I can't say when I'm 300 yards away or vice versa. Totally. So that's a fun fun game to figure out. But uh, I do want to ask you a little bit about uh-huh. hunting Hawaii. Just, and it sounds like I'm, I'm learning kind of what your style is there. But talk to me about what, what, your, what your day-to-day hunt looked like there. Yeah, so... Um, if it's pigs, usually for me, just as I have access to the coffee farm, I'll go up there and it's cool. Like they come out and they're in the, in the coffee rows, you know, in the afternoons, they're there in the mornings, but they're definitely, more, it gives you more opportunity in the afternoons. Sometimes they're, they're out as early as four or five, but typically not until like an hour before daylight. Um, but you see them up there in the rows and then you can figure out what the wind's doing and kind of make your stalk and sneak up on them or try, try to figure out what direction they're headed and kind of cut them off. Um, the sheep live up. We have two different types of sheep. One's like a mouflon sheep from Europe. And most of the purebred ones are gone now. They're bred in with a feral sheep that's over here. They're both really cool. Um, sheep and they kind of live up in more open country um so a lot of that is spot and stock so you're just seeing them from way away trying to see what direction they're headed and get in front of them um or if they're feeding and their heads are down just trying to make a, a stock up on them and figure out some kind of way you can work with the terrain to use it to your advantage to get close and same with the goats. The goats are pretty cool. You can see them most of the day. Um, you know, they, they'll bed down during the middle of the day, but for the most part, they're up a lot. They give you a lot of opportunity to see them. And you can just stalk up on them. And then I, I know you're talking about axis deer hunting. Um, the axis deer, man, those are some hard animals to hunt. Those, those are some amazing deer. And they're very, very alert to what's going on, you know, and like certain animals, like pigs, they don't have the best eyes. Um, the goats kind of can be a little stupid sometimes where they'll, they're not as attentive. And that once they put their heads down to eat, they'll just keep their heads down. But the axis deer, they are just like a different animal, man. They're, they're so twitchy and and it doesn't They'll, have a predator on the island besides people, There's right? no predator. Yeah, there's no predators on the island. Their natural predator from where they're from is the tiger. So, oh. like, they're used to being stalked by tigers, which maybe is why they're so twitchy. But there's no predators for them on the island. But they're still, like, you can watch them through your binoculars with nothing around. And, you know you'll see them put their head down and pop it back up and look around and to where you're like going, man, what did they just see? But they didn't see nothing. They're just, they're freaks <laughs> and they're, they're known to, you know, jump your arrow. Um, but all the, all that hunting that I've done, the access to your hunting is all spot and stock as well. You're seeing them from a ways away and, um, 
just trying to sneak up on them and belly crawl if you have to. Um, and just using everything, every skill you've ever learned to try to get close. The cool thing is that usually there's a lot of opportunity because there's a lot of deer yeah. depending on where you're at, but there's, there's a lot of deer we have. So the three islands that have them is Maui, Molokai and Lanai. Um, none of them really have the best public land hunting. You really need to just know somebody um, who has a spot you can go or just pay for a guide and, and get in there. The cool thing about if you do pay for a guide, you're most likely going to get an opportunity. Um, it's not really like, you know, you'll go elk hunting or something and who knows what kind of opportunities you're going to get, but, with the access deer hunting, especially some of the areas that the guided hunts are on, you're definitely going to get opportunity, if not multiple opportunities. And so it gives you, it gives you that chance to be successful. Um, but it definitely is, can be frustrating. You know, there's some days where you feel like it's almost impossible. That is one of my favorite wild game meat. It is by f- <laughs> Pretty darn close, my favorite. I th- I think. Oh yeah, it is. It's uh, so good. it's it's you know I love elk meat and but the oxy steer is better. I hate to say it. But it is no. It's, <laughs> it's fine. better. It absolutely is the whole the whole. Uh, I I remember the first time I had some backstrap off of one my buddy shot in Texas, and it was like just the color alone is you yeah. can tell that's going to taste good because of how light pink that is. It looks like the whole whole thing looks like a tenderloin. Yeah, the meat, I don't know. It's just so good. Um, the whole thing, too, you know, like the whole animal. There's some, some muscles on some animals. You kind of got to be more cautious with how you eat them, but um, just because they can be tough or gamey, whatever it is. But, man, the, the oxygen here is so good. It really is like a, a great meat. And they're trippy. Like, they... They're a lot like elk because they'll hang out in herds. Um, I mean, depending on where you're at, sometimes you're in herds of over 50 of them. And it can be a little challenging just because you have so many eyeballs. Yeah. And if they're always popping their head up, then there's always multiple oh, yeah. heads. <laughs> so, yeah. They have a crazy scream too. Like a, when they're riding and those, those bucks are screaming, they have like a crazy war cry that they let out. That's pretty cool to hear. Huh. When is, when is that? Um, the rut, I think it starts like in May. Um, I know it really kicks in like end of May, June, July. And it's kind of spread out. Like that's the mean, but since we don't have winter here, um, they, they're a little messed up, you know, like sometimes you'll find ones that are hard horned, um, when they shouldn't be when the rest of them had already dropped their antlers, you know? Yeah. So they're, they can be a little messed up. Um, you know, some does may come into heat later, earlier, but what's your, that's usually the main months. Yeah. I was like, end of May, June, July, like if you're going to hunt the rut, but the cool thing is you can hunt them not in the rut as well. Yeah. So when, when throughout the year, what are you hunting and when? Um, yeah, so usually I try to make a trip for access deer sometime in May. Um, and then just hunting, 
hunting sheep and the the sheep also rut as well but they don't need to it's cool just to get up there anytime and then pigs are year round and same with the goats so i mean the goats and the pigs they also rut but um you can usually find them um when they're not rutting it's not like it's not like deer and elk where they drop their antlers either you know they have their horns year round yeah yeah exactly well i'm telling you if i can and we're just kind of getting to know each other but i can tell you you would love pronghorn antelope hunting you would love it oh yeah i know you would it's another similar op tons of opportunity it's not hard to find them it's hard to stock them (laughs) and yeah it sounds like you like that game of moving through the landscape how do i how do i get within range and yeah i love that it is so much fun to to utilize the landscape and crawl and sneak and crawl some more and they live yeah they live in some i've seen them before i've never hunted them but i see that the areas that they live oh man there ain't much to hide behind huh no no and you can find them in more of those rolling hills kind of things makes that kind of fun uh yeah decoys get effective uh, while you're bow hunting. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've done some of those, just that wide, wide open stuff. Yeah, man. It's even, even in there, there is their old little Creek bottoms that just are a difference of like three feet. <laughs> and yeah, that's, just what, enough, right? that's what you're looking for is, is those. And, um, yeah, I, I had an antelope hunt yesterday that I was supposed to be gone today yet too, but filled both Dang. tags and, uh, rifle hunting, but it was, it's just, it's one of my favorites. I love antelope hunting and it's, and they taste really good. They taste really good. I really enjoy them. They're just a unique animal, an ancient animal. That's like nothing else running around. Uh, yeah. they're so cool. I just think they're a, a unique, really cool animal. So it's fun to, fun to learn. They, they just don't care about hiding, hiding. Or they, and, and yeah. your hunt doesn't stop because it's 90 degrees and it's two o'clock in the afternoon. You keep, just keep hunting <laughs> and wow, that's because, so fun. because you can just find them, find them and then put a stock on. And actually when they're bedded, it's probably a little bit better option because you know, they're probably not going to move. <laughs> whereas, yeah. Yeah. Whereas the, the herd otherwise is going to move. And yeah, it sounds like a blast. I haven't connected yet. I've only bow hunted, I think the one or two seasons and. Uh, cause I was in Colorado for a while when I really was getting into antelope hunting and, and there the opportunity just, I didn't, I was just diving into elk. I didn't have time. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to, to archery hunt elk and that's where the time got spent. But, um, well, we've been chatting for about an hour and a half. <laughs> so, uh, so I, good. yeah, I want to respect your time and let you get back to your day and, and what you're doing. Yeah, but thank you. It'd be it'd be great to to connect with you again down the road and and chat some more about about life and hunting and all and all kinds of things. So yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually going to make this my hundredth episode. Uh, so ding, yeah, hit it. yeah. <laughs> we'll get. Nice. Uh, um, I got a couple more to put out, but uh, in about three weeks we'll make this one the hundredth episode and awesome dude congratulations 100 man that's a lot yeah yeah and i I know there's a lot more out folks with two three four five hundred but um in the 
year and a half I've been doing this or so, uh, it's been, been fun to connect with folks like yourself and, and hear stories. And I learn a lot. Yes. It's been a blast. I appreciate it. It Yeah, it is fun. Yeah. So very neat to, to connect with you and, and hear someone from your thousands of miles away hunting, (laughs) but hunting, uh, similar kind of stuff and, and using similar, similar things. Just like you said before, it's, uh, the hunting community is a fun community and a welcoming community. And, uh, it's, they're the best people. I mean, I've met some of my, the best people in my life or just recently through hunting, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, it's, they're a special people and it's a special bond too, especially if you get to share some hunts together and go through that struggle and, uh, be successful or unsuccessful either way, you know, but it's just like such a good bond that you can grow with people and it's a, it's just our natural way, right? That's the way we're supposed to be. Yeah. Go hunting with somebody for a day or even just an afternoon. It's an intimate yeah. thing. The stuff you get the time to talk about, uh, it's close quarters sometimes. It's, uh, one of my, the one year we, we did go antelope hunting, me and my buddy, we just had met and my, our wives still joke about us snuggling <laughs> up behind a decoy, yeah. crawling through the sage, <laughs> laying yeah. on each other practically. And, uh, yeah. and then, sitting around a campfire that night and, and chatting and chatting and chatting. So it's a little bromance. Yep. Oh, there's a (laughs) bromance there for sure. (laughs) That's for sure. Love it. But well, anyway, I'll let you go. And again, thanks so much for your time. Okay, Clint. Appreciate it. And, um, yeah, call me anytime. And when it comes time for you to come over to Hawaii, let me know. Will do. It ain't my ground. This is God's country.